This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. First Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. We're in a sermon series called Happy. And today I want to talk about happy church. Happy church. Is anybody happy to be in church today? Yeah. Okay. Happy church. So here we go. First Kings 10 and 1. When the queen of Sheba heard Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great uh, caravan of, of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. Her breath, the Bible says, was taken away. In some versions it says her breath was taken away. It took her breath away. This experience took her breath away. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, their splendid clothing, the cupbearers, the burnt offerings of Solomon made in the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, everything I've heard in my country about your achievements and the wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what was told now this is the little verse i want to i want to just pull from it says this how happy your people must be how happy your people must be wow like like this is just too good to be true have you ever been in a place where you just said well this is just too good to be true yeah this is too awesome this is too amazing and so I want to just pull out of that this big idea of happy church, happy church. And so I want to just invite you to close your eyes, open your heart for a moment. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Let your word fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. We pray this according to your will in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. All right, God bless you. I want to just start with this idea. Nothing significant happens accidentally. Nothing great or significant happens by Chance. It happens because we are intentional about doing the right thing, about doing the right things that make a big difference. Nobody accidentally becomes an astronaut. Is there anybody here an astronaut? Okay, no astronauts here today. But if you were an astronaut, we were to uh, hand you the mic, you would, you, you would tell us all the, 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 the loops and hoops that you had to go through and the rigmarole to be able to become an astronaut. Nothing significant happens by chance or by default. So great churches are not churches that aimlessly just wander through the week and aimlessly wander through the Sunday services, but they are, if wanting to have significant impact, they are very intentional. We have to be intentional about why we exist, why we do what we do. Here's a, a statement that I really like. I wrote it down. You will end up somewhere, individually or corporately, we will all end up somewhere. But vision allows us to end up there on purpose. We want to end up, wherever we're ending up, we want to end up there on purpose. We want to have uh, known that this was the outcome, this is the goal. 
When we look at our families, when we look at our finances, we look at how we do church, how we do ministry, everything we need to pull back the reins and say, what are we doing this for? Why do we do what we do? Even Jesus dealt with this so many times of the why. I know what you're doing, but why are you doing it? Um, he even dealt with like worship, the why behind worship. Are we being intentional about worship? He said, if you're going to worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Don't just do gyrations. Don't just make noise. But it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to mean something. It has to be intentional. Our worship is intentional. Our services are intentional. I know there's people who believe in just blind luck. You know, we just, well, luck of the draw. Hopefully it all works out. And, and I, I don't believe in luck. And, and I think most people here don't believe in luck, good luck, bad luck. Um, sometimes I, I, I waver on that after I wash my car and it rains like an hour later. I'm like, is that bad luck? I'm not sure. We're going to try to solve the water crisis by just having a car wash. And then we're sure it will rain within an hour or two. I heard a story about a guy named Frank. He, he, he was superstitious. He did believe in luck. And he believed his, his uh, lucky number was five. He was born May 5th. He lived at 555 East 55th Street, and on his 55th birthday, he went to the horse races, and he was surprised to see in the fifth race a horse by the name of Numero Cinco that was racing. So he waited five minutes before the race, went to window number five, and bet $5,555, and sure enough, that horse came in fifth. It was an amazing story, <laughs> an amazing story of luck. Everything happens, everything significant that happens, happens with purpose. We need to be purposeful in our lives. What we do, why we do it. How we lead and why we lead. How we parent and how we parent. Parenting on purpose, a great small group curriculum that uh, we had last semester. I want to encourage you to live a life of purpose. Live a life, see the vision, know the, know the target and say that's what we're going after. We're going to be intentional about how we live. Now, we do this, hopefully, individually, but we want to do this also corporately. There's a, a great story, Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, and this is a, a little statement that's taken out of, a little dialogue taken out of that book. Alice says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And that depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. I don't much care where I go, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Many people don't know where they're going. They don't know which way to go because they don't know the destination. They don't have the vision. They don't have a goal. They're not intentional about life. God wants us to be intentional, intentional in everything we do, finding the design, finding the purpose, and living with intention. What I love about the story of Solomon is this. He lived intentionally. He built the house of God with intent, intentionally, uh, where the cupbearers were, the servants were, everything that was done with intent, even the sacrifice was done with intent. And this is because Solomon was a man of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. There's a, there's, a great, there's a great power in wisdom. A lot of us uh, have a lot of information and knowledge. Knowledge is good, but wisdom is better. Wisdom is better than knowledge. We want knowledge, but we want to know how to execute that knowledge and, and live out what we know and what we know we should be doing. Uh, someone once said, knowledge is knowing that an, a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing it doesn't belong in fruit salad. So that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So here's the big question. 
Why do we exist as a church? I feel like when we discover why we exist as the body of Christ, why we exist as a church, then we can find our purpose, then we can fulfill our purpose, and we can find our significance as individuals in the body of Christ and as the body of Christ. So I want to just really quickly turn your attention to Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. And I want you to see the array of people that Jesus is speaking to. This is not an easy crowd. It says this, now the tax collectors and sinners. These are bad people. These are the people who were doing wrong. Tax collectors taking advantage of Israel, taking advantage, kind of siding with Rome and, and making a lot of money on the backs of their own people. Of course, sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. So he's got grumbling, Pharisees and scribes, you got tax collectors, you got sinners. And man, how is Jesus going to address this very auspicious crowd? Well, look what he does. He connects with something that everyone can understand. Everyone can understand lost stuff. Has anybody here ever lost anything? How many here has lost keys before? You've lost keys. How about wallets? Anybody lost a wallet? Anybody lost a purse before? All right, ladies, amen, hallelujah. Is anybody, guy, have you ever been lost in your wife's purse trying to find stuff? You fall in, and it's just like Alice in Wonderland, the whole... Okay, so that's another thing for another day. But Jesus is talking about lost stuff because everyone's lost something at some point. He's very intentional about connecting to the emotion of losing something. And this is what he says. He says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He responds, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he lost one of them, does not leave the 90 and 9 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Everybody say rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. Let's have a party. Let's be happy. It's exciting because what was lost is now Found, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just to kind of rifle through this story, he, he goes on to tell another story about a, a lady who had ten coins, and most likely an heirloom, most likely coming from a necklace, and she loses one of the coins. And so there's ten coins, one's lost. She sweeps and cleans the house, and, and, and well, that I won't even say anything else about that, but she's cleaning the house. She finds the coin. She rejoices, gets everybody together, and everybody's rejoicing and excited and, and just because what was lost is found. And then it says there's a, there's, a, there's a son. There were two sons, and, and one of the sons left, and the son came back, and they rejoiced. The house was full of joy. And the, all three of these stories have three things in common. One, something was lost. Two, there were things that were not lost, that remained, that were supposed to rejoice when that which was lost came back. So there were 99 sheep, one lost, Everyone rejoices when the one comes back. There were 10 coins, one lost. The house, the neighborhood, everyone's rejoicing when the one is found. And then there was the prodigal son, the lost son. And there's joy in the house. And the son that was supposed to be there, excited and happy, was outside of the house. He was grumbling. He was, he was grumbling like those Pharisees. He was not happy because, man, I didn't get this kind of treatment. I didn't get this kind of reward. I didn't get this kind of attention. And so what Jesus is showing us is a couple things. 
Number one, he shows us the fact that the heart of the gospel is to seek and save that which is lost. That is the heart of the gospel. That's why we are here. If God just wanted us to be saved on the day you got saved, you would just whisk away into heaven and you would be in eternal bliss forever and ever. God kept you here. God kept you and I here to be a part of this community, a part of the church for a reason, for a purpose. Everybody say purpose. And so we have to understand here, this story is talking about where the joy, the source of happiness, where the the source of joy comes from. And it begins with finding what was very important to the one who lost it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and I've, I told this story a while back, but I'm going to tell it again, and I'm telling on myself, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to tell this story, but I think most of us, at least guys, we've done this. If you have kids, you may have misplaced a kid in the grocery store before or lost a kid in the grocery store before, and, and my wife, she's so wonderful. She put so much faith in me, and I appreciate her sending me to the grocery store with a long list and three kids. It's a recipe for disaster, and you go... And there you are trying to get the right product, the right, the, the, the right brand, and trying to make sure to herd these cats, these kids. And then all of a sudden, one of them's gone. Has anybody ever lost a kid in the grocery store? Just be honest. This is healing for your heart. This is going to bless you. This is going to help you. We've all been there. We've been there. And it's, it's not easy. And it. And all of a sudden, you feel, your, your stomach just, I mean, it, it starts churning and your heart starts beating because you look and your youngest, Jude, is missing. And, and, and at no time, at no time, would the manager coming up to you trying to console you, would this feel good for him to say, well, don't worry about it, sir. You have two kids that are here. Why would you worry about the one that's lost? Two's enough for you, sir. Absolutely not. In fact, you start getting impassioned. You start, you start grabbing the, the little intercom, Jude King, where are you? You start sending people to the milk section, to the meat section, and you're going to the cereal and little toy section because you have a hunch of where he may be. But those moments are like minutes because what's important to you is lost and you feel the urgency you feel the urgency, and, and, and what can frustrate you is when you nobody else feels the same urgency. You're like a madman. You're a man on a mission. You're climbing over things. You're shouting. You've, you've lost all dignity, but you don't care because what you care about is lost, right? And what frustrates you sometimes is when your kids come up while you're Looking, I make this sound like this happens all the time. It's only happened two or three times, but <laughs> they come up to you and they're saying, you know, you're looking for Jude and, and the other two come up and say, can we have popsicles? Can we have some candy? And you're like, don't you get it? Your brother's missing. And sometimes we do the same exact thing with God. We make it all about us when this was really never about us. You see, we're there. Our job is to help And our job is to celebrate when he's found. The issue is this, and this is the way that God has postured his church. Once we are found, we are enlisted into the army, the search party. Why? Because his passion are for those who are not here yet. So we exist not just for those who are here, but we exist for those who are on their way here. Those who are not here yet, 
That's why we exist. We exist. We're still here on earth because there's still someone out there that doesn't know the Lord. There's still someone out there who hasn't been regenerated, hasn't been born again, hasn't been changed. And God is saying, I want you, when he comes in, I want you to be ready. I want there to be an environment that celebrates what is the heart of God. Because it's easy to make church about me. And what's amazing about happiness is this. It's the paradox. When you seek happiness, you don't find it. But when you seek to be a blessing and to bring happiness to others, guess what happens? You find it. The Bible says this. Except you, it's a paradox. Except you lay your life down, you won't find it. If you try to keep your life, you lose it. But by saying, you know what, this is not about me. See, this whole thing is about you discovering it's not about you. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing. It's all about you discovering it's not about you. Philippians, let's put this wonderful scripture. Uh, Pastor, uh, the, the, the Apostle Paul says this in the book of Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. At some point, we got to go, okay, I get it. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for changing me. But now my mindset has to shift. It's not about me anymore. It's about those who are not here yet. Because there's people. There's people right now that you're investing in. There's people right now that you're inviting to God's house where we dwell together, a place where we join together, and they're going to come into an environment, and their breath is going to be taken away. They're going to go, wow, this is what I've been looking for, a place where people love each other, have compassion for each other. I actually have some of our uh, cards here. I asked Caitlin to, to, to give me some of these. I was reading through these uh, on Thursday, and it was pretty amazing. Every once in a while when we uh, have visitors, we'll send a little opinion card and just say, hey, what did, you, what did you like the most? What did you notice? Blah, blah, blah. And almost 100% say things like, we've never been to a place where so friendly, where people cared, where it finally made sense. Why? Because we do not exist just for those who are here. We exist for those who are not here yet, for your, for your aunt, or as some of you say, your auntie, for grandma, for your neighbor, for that person you've been investing in, that person that you've been talking to and with, and that day where they finally say, I'll come, I'll try it out. It's going to be that day that you realize why we do church the way we do it, why we do church, why we sing the songs we sing, why we preach the sermons we preach, because it's not about us. It's about those who are not here yet. And they're on their way. They're on their way. God is doing something in the hearts of people. God is stirring people, the glorious church, locally and globally, like never before. What I love about the church in this, this age that we're living in, 20, 30 years ago, if you weren't a pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, uh, children's pastor, or worship pastor, you didn't, you didn't have any place in the church. You just came to church and you sat. And what God is doing is he's 
breaking that paradigm. And he's, he's opening new avenues for people to get involved and do and share their talents and, and their passions in the local church and in the global church. Like never before, you have an opportunity not to get a title, but to get a towel and start serving others and say, I want to invest in others. Because when you start investing, not in yourself, it's not about me. Uh, it's all about me discovering. It's not about me. But when you discover that, you start serving others. And all of a sudden, there becomes joy in your life. Joy starts flooding your heart. When you discover it's not about me, church is not about me. I mean, it is about you, but it's about you discovering it's not about me. We exist not for those who are just here, but for those who are not here yet. This woman, Queen of Sheba, heard from a far country. She's hoping, she's anticipating to see something. She's hoping it's as good as she heard. And when she comes, she says, it's even better than what I heard. I saw the right, I saw people in place. I saw people in their position. I saw honor. I saw sacrifice. I saw worship. This place has changed me because of this environment. People come into environments, they come into places, and there's the intangibles. We call it culture. Now you, you may not under you know you may not say, oh, the culture of the church is good or bad, but you go into an environment and immediately you know whether or not you feel right, feel good feel like you belong. You know what it feels like when everyone's putting on a front, when everybody's putting on, you know, kumbaya Christianity. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How you doing? High five, fist bump. Sorry, that's what we do, I know. <laughs> Very transactional. But there's something powerful about the body of Christ that only happens, that can only happen in the body of Christ. When the church begins to honor one another, serve one another, love one another, and say it ain't about us. It's about those who are not here yet. It's a paradigm change, but I'm telling you, it'll make your Christian walk so much greater. Because while it's still, if it's still about you, then you are a consumer, and as a consumer, you are a critic. It's our nature. If you're a consumer, you become a critic. We have Yelp, you know. I, I've, I've kind of fallen to... To, to yelp myself, you know, I'm in a place, I was in Sydney, Australia, and I had, we had this meal, and I was like, I'm going to yelp this, this is the most amazing thing ever, tears streaming down my face, took a picture of the food, and yelped it, come one, come all, eat this food, and there I am critiquing, you know, the smells, the senses, the food was wonderful, the service was great, the floor is a little sticky, but we can overlook that, there I am, critiquing but something happens when you take ownership you're not the consumer you're a contributor when you say I belong this is this is the place where I'm going to sow this is the place where I'm going to give I'm going to pick up not a title but a towel and I'm going to serve it changes Christianity altogether and can I tell you if you don't pick up the towel and you just keep it all about you you'll never have happy church you'll never find the significance that God has put in you, your purpose, your design. You've been designed. You have been created by God, fashioned and formed by him. You have something that the kingdom of God is begging for. Give it. Give it. What I love about the way Jesus invited people to the journey, he started with come and see. John chapter 1, come and see. Kick the tires, look under the hood, test drive the car, come and see. Just experience. And that's where most people come. They come to the, to, they come to the church, they go, wow, amazing. I like what I feel. And one of the wins is people coming back going, I need more of this. I need more of what I'm feeling. 
What I love are the stories of people that did not know the Lord, the people who were far from God, the people who did not grow up in a churched home, not knowing faith, and they come and they go, I don't know what this is, but I want it. I don't know what I'm feeling, but, but, but something's happening to my heart. That's the win. That's the celebration. That's what makes church amazing. Not when church is about us. Not when church is about organization and about committees and about focus groups and about the carpet committee and about the air conditioning committee and about the chair committee. Amen. And it can become very self-centered. And yet Jesus starts with, come and see. I want you to experience. And then he says, follow me. His next invitation is, follow me. I just want you to follow. Now, a lot of people misquote this, and they say, well, Jesus said, leave your nets and follow. That's a misquote. Jesus never said, leave your nets. But they did leave their nets. Because at some point, this invitation to come, they realized, wait, I can't take these things with me. So I have to choose, am I taking the invitation? Am I going to go a little bit further? And I'm gonna, if I'm, am I going to leave what's comfortable? Am I going to leave what I know best and follow him? And when they did, they had to leave their nets. And then ultimately, the last call, as he turns up the dial, this is what Jesus says. He goes, now if you want to go further, he says, you've got to take up your cross. If you really want to be effective, you, you, you've, you've test drove, you started following, but now it's time to take up your cross. It's, not, it's now time for self-denial. It ain't about you anymore. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to step into the power of the kingdom and see significance in your Christian faith, in your Christian walk, I need you to kill self every day. You must die daily. Every day, I die daily. Because the best Christian life, the most significant Christian life that you can have is not one that self-serves, but one that serves others. Serving the kingdom and serving those who are not yet a part of the kingdom. I heard this story. I read this story like nine, ten months ago. And when I read it, I just, I, I like dropped the, the magazine. I was like, whoa, this is like too crazy. There's a story of this lady who goes to Iceland and she's, you know, she's on this tour bus to see volcanoes. Now, I was in New Zealand, and I was tricked into going to an active volcano where they said could blow up any time. And there, after picturing myself tackling my tour guide, I forgave them in my heart and endured it with much prayer. So if you felt the anointing, that was me praying in New Zealand very, very hard. But anyways, she decides she's going to go see one of these volcanoes, so she travels to Iceland, and when she gets, a part, she's a part of this tour, and they're on the tour bus, and they're going up the hill up to this large volcano. She's sitting in the back of the bus, and there she's talking with people in one language. She's, she spoke many languages. And when they got to a gas station, they, they stopped to fill up, and, the, and then everybody kind of got off the bus. Well, she changed clothes because of the altitude. Um, the, the, the temperature was changing. So she actually changed clothes completely, the color of her outfit, everything. So she gets back on the bus. Someone's sitting in her seat in the back of the bus. So she sits up front with another group of people that are speaking a totally different language. And she's speaking their language, so she's talking with them. They go several miles up the hill, and someone in the back of the bus says, Hey, we're missing the, the, the lady that was sitting back here in the back of the bus. And they said, well, we got to turn around. So they turn around, and they, they park the bus at the gas station. They look. She's not there. So someone says, the worst has happened. She's out in the wilderness wandering, a wild beast. And so now the bus and this tour group becomes a search party out in the wilderness looking for this woman several hours. She's in the search party. 
looking for herself. And finally, after a couple hours, she goes, wait, wait, wait. Sit in the back of the bus. She goes, hey, I think this is me we're looking for. And can I just implore you today, it's you we're looking for. It's your we're looking for. Can I tell you, get on the bus. Be a part of the mission, the vision, the passion. Because when you buy in and you sell out and you go all in, Christianity is amazing. But when you keep part of it back, it can be boring. It can be frustrating. You know, we buy our kids toys and my parents come into town. My kids get a little spoiled and we have to do autocorrect after they leave. That's a whole other story. But my parents will buy my kids a toy and it requires six batteries. Batteries not included. Those are the worst words a parent can hear. Because you got this toy, they've unwrapped it. Oh, it's wonderful. We have batteries. We don't have batteries. Who has six C batteries? Who, who has that just lying around? And you find four and you're like, well, four, let's try four. Put four in. You try to jimmy rig it and get wires and, you know, doing everything you can. It won't work. It won't work until you put everything into it that's required. All six batteries are required. And when you put all of yourself into the things of God, into the church, into the mission, into the passion, God's passion, it turns everything on. It changes everything. All that's in you that's just been lying dormant turns on when you go all in and you make it not about you. When you discover it's all about you, understanding it's not about you. When you know it's all about you, getting the revelation, it ain't about me. We're here today because there's still somebody, your neighbor, your friend, someone that you've been praying for, investing in and inviting, who's going to come into an irresistible environment and say, something's different here. Something feels different. Something is changing in my heart. I don't understand it. I can't even describe it, but I know I want more of this. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens because we're intentional and purposeful. And we say, this is why we exist. We exist not just for those who are here, but we exist for those who are not here yet. And when you grab that heart and you get that in your spirit, it's going to change the way and the why and the how you do church and the way you think about it and the way you look across the church and you see people you haven't met yet. You don't know their name, but that's okay. You reach out, you step out, you introduce yourself because you realize I'm not here just for me. I'm here for somebody else. It makes church amazing. It makes living for God amazing. Well, I, I don't know if I have, you know, I don't want, I want to go to small groups and small groups are, Maybe we don't go to small groups for me. Maybe I go for somebody else. I don't know if I can pass out flyers at the door and bulletins at the door and worship guys at the door. Maybe I, maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't do it for you. Maybe you do it for somebody else. Because it's there that joy is going to come back. Rejoicing is going to come back. And this is what the Bible says in Luke. It says, when one sinner repents... All of heaven goes bonkers. Heaven rejoices. Heaven goes nuts when one sinner just turns their heart and says, I want more of this. I'm tired of walking that way. I'm going to start walking this way. All of heaven rejoices. The church rejoices. 
Sometimes I'll just walk back to the nursery and I'll peek in and we'll have baptized four, five, ten people. And I'll say, hey guys, just baptized ten people. You made that possible. Thank you for watching the kids. You made a difference. I know you weren't up here preaching. I know you weren't singing, but you made a difference. You gave someone an opportunity to come into this place and feel something, hear something that began to change their heart and shift their mind and open them up to the kingdom of God. Thank you. Significant. Happy church. Happy church. Would you stand with me? I wonder if we can just take a moment, open our hearts, lift our hands, and close our eyes. Lord, you've planted our hearts in the heart of Sonoma County. Lord, there are those that you are reaching. There are those that you are waking up in the middle of the night, those that are having dreams, those who are in the tension of life, and Lord, you're arresting their attention, and Lord, you're drawing them. We haven't even seen the half of what you intend to do. But Lord, you're asking us, an audience, to become an army, to say no to titles, but say yes to towels and serve one another. As you stooped down and washed the disciples' feet, we're to wash and serve one another. It's in this environment that people are going to see and feel and know, surely the Lord is in this place. Revival is coming. Harvest is here. Would you lift your hands again? Would you just begin to talk to the Lord? For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.